0: one of the the kind of painful things that I learned about myself maybe 10 or 12 years ago is that I have this really deep addiction to convenience. And I don't know how many of you wrestle with, with that addiction to convenience. I would kind of suspect if you're an American, it's somewhere in you, whether or not you realize it. you know, we don't want it now. We wanted it yesterday, right? And so Uh, I've seen this in almost every realm of my my life. My friends love to make fun of me because one of my favorite restaurants is Subway. And so you've heard me say that before, and they're always like, how can that be one of your favorite restaurants? You know, the, the meat is processed, the bread smells terrible, your clothes reek when you leave there, the ingredients aren't fresh. And I always tell them that I love Subway, not because it's the best sandwich, but because it's one of the most convenient sandwiches. And if, 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 there is, if there is a tension between my taste buds and my, my time commitments, I'm gonna always choose time. And so I, I, love, I love convenience, and I'm addicted to convenience. And not just in the things that I eat, it's in the way that I shop. I remember years ago, if I needed something, I'd get in the car and I'd drive to Target or to Walmart or to Best Buy or wherever it was that I needed it. Now I just pull up my phone. I get that Amazon Prime app, which is dangerous because it doesn't feel like you're spending. Can anybody testify to that? You just push a button. It doesn't feel real. And uh, it's there in two days or one day, or if you ordered the right thing in the right place, it's there in an hour. And it's just, it's so convenient, Right? I remember when Sydney and I were getting ready to be married and I was getting ready for the wedding. It's, you know, the best shape that you ever wanna be in. I remember going to the store when they used to still sell DVDs in stores. Some of you don't even know what DVDs are, but uh, they're these discs that you put in a machine and you watch a movie. And I remember going to the store and I, I'm there uh, looking to buy this DVD uh, so I could work out in my house because I just wanted to get shredded, you know, but I didn't want, why are you laughing at that? Like, uh, <laughs> I felt like you just body shamed me with your laugh. You know. Like, oh, that's hilarious, Dave, that you can be shredded. So I, I go to the store, and, and literally right there on the shelf, there is a 30-minute daily workout, and there are six-minute abs. And I'm like, is it even a choice? Like, <laughs> 30 minutes or six minutes, and Sydney wishes I would have chosen the 30 minutes, right? Like, you know, because there's just this thing in me that wants convenience. Like, like I want that which is convenient. And and I, I, I'm convinced that we as a culture, I mean, everything is marketed towards this deep hunger for convenience. That, that, that we don't just want it now, that we wanted it yesterday. We don't just want it, but we want it assembled and ready and, and ready to go. We want this in relationships. We want this in products. We want this in community. We want this in absolutely everything that we, we see. But here, here's the challenge for me. You know, convenience in and of itself is not a bad thing, but convenience by itself never leads to great things. Like, convenience never produces greatness. Like, if, if you want to have a great marriage, you don't get a great marriage by always choosing the convenient choices. If you want to be in great shape, you don't get in great shape by always choosing the convenient food options or, or the convenient ways of living your life. If, if you want to have great spiritual community or great friendships after college, you don't always get great community when you choose the what? The convenient choices. And here's the reality, is if you want deep intimacy with Jesus, you never get it through convenience. That you can be a convenient churchgoer. You can be a convenient Christian. You can be a convenient husband. You can be a convenient spouse. You can be a convenient friend. But you cannot be conveniently close to Jesus. That the journey to depth, the journey to joy, the journey to intimacy is never purchased on the path of convenience. And so much of this this last month for us as a church, this season of prayer and fasting, has been us laying aside some of the, the convenient ways of pursuing God so that we can experience the great joy of knowing God. How do we lay aside some of the the quick habits and the quick fixes and the quick desires and the quick pathways so we can get into the deeper places of actually knowing Jesus? Because although, although convenience is not bad, convenience on its own never leads you into the things that's great. And I think in order for a generation to be awakened to the reality of life with God, this generation is going to have to lay down our idol of convenience. We have to lay down the idol of we want it now, and we wanted it yesterday, and we wanted it the day, we, we, we want the Lord. And this is what I love about the story of Nehemiah. You know, God begins to awaken his heart, and almost every part of the journey is an inconvenient part. Remember back in chapter one, he's, he's living in the palace. He's, he's in this great job, working next to the most powerful man on earth. And God begins to awaken his heart to the reality of the brokenness around him, and he begins to experience just how inconvenient it can be to care about other people. And so some of you began to experience this month as God was awakening you, just the inconvenience of all of a sudden your heart was starting to care for other people. But then you get into chapter two and all of a sudden it's not just the inconvenience of being awakened, it's the inconvenience of having to wait. And so it goes into this season of waiting for God, you know, four months of prayer and of fasting and of serving the king and of digging into the scriptures. And there's this season where Nehemiah realizes that God had opened his heart, but God hadn't yet opened the door for him to step through. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the timing of God is just woefully inconvenient? And then there's that moment in chapter 2 where the king says, what is it that you want? And he has to step through the door. He has to push through the place of fear. And all of a sudden, the vision begins to awaken in him. The revival begins to awaken in him. And he has to make the 25-day journey from the king's palace back to the city of Jerusalem. It was an inconvenient journey. He has to travel around the walls at night. He has to gather the leaders that he's never met. He has to raise the funds that he didn't have. He has to cast the vision that he didn't know. He had to see face to face the walls that were in worse shape than they ever could have imagined. And every step of the journey was inconvenient. He stepped into that opportunity that heaven had presented and then the opposition of hell begins to come. Remember chapters three through six. Every time heaven opens an opportunity, hell is there to respond. And all of a sudden, he finds himself with facing the inconvenient reality that there's two sides at work here every time you try to follow Jesus. And then the awakening began to happen. It's what we looked at the last couple of weeks. But even the spiritual awakening, you know, they finished building in 52 days a wall that had been laying in ruins for 140 years. But even the awakening of their souls was more inconvenient than they wanted That God didn't awaken the people as they were laying in bed and minding their business and going about their own routines. It says, no, for a season of their life, they would enter into the temple courts for six, literally six hours a day. They would listen to the scriptures. Chapter eight says they'd confess their sins. They they would walk in obedience. They would choose worship when they didn't feel like worshiping. They would give themselves to discipling one another in every aspect of the journey along the way from being spiritually asleep to spiritually awake was a journey of inconvenience. I was just reminded over and over and over that the greater things of life, especially in the kingdom of God, are so rarely available to those that worship convenience. The greater things in the kingdom of God are rarely available to those that worship convenience. And God has been stepping all over my toes as we've gone through this book because I've watched what's happened as the guy as a guy is awakened to the reality of who God is. But there's this moment that happens, it gets to the end of the story, Nehemiah chapter 13, and we're just gonna look at a few verses of it this morning. And it's a really weird, kind of depressing end to a really great story. I want you to see that on purpose. Uh, You know, we all want the fairy tale ending. I remember uh, years ago, my wife made me watch uh, the movie La La Land, or maybe it was last year, I'm not sure when it came out. I I hate musicals, don't want to watch musicals, but she made me watch it, and I'll be honest, I kind of got sucked into it, I kind of liked the movie, until the end, you know, spoiler alert, he doesn't get the girl, and I'm like, what was that about? Like, (laughs) I spend all of my life dealing with reality. I don't go to a movie to see reality, and then it's just kind of that weird ending, In the book of Nehemiah, it's kind of like La La Land without the music and the good-looking actors. It's just this, it's kind of a weird ending to a great story. They experience this revival, this awakening for 12 years. They rebuild the wall. 12 years goes by. They're going after God. They're pursuing God. They're, They're worshiping God. And then Nehemiah goes back to the palace just like he told the king that he would do. And all of a sudden, the people begin to once again slip back into a convenient way of operating with God. And the revival that had been initiated in the heart of God begins to die in the hands of the people. And we're gonna pick up in Nehemiah chapter 13, uh, starting in verse six. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. It says, this is Nehemiah speaking. He says, but while all of this was going on, in other words, while all of the people began to slip back into some of their convenient choices, while the revival began to die down, while, while the passion for Jesus began to die down, it says, while all of this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. So you remember this story started in chapter one. It was the 20th year of his reign. It's now the 32nd year of his reign. 12 years have gone by. They've had 12 years of revival, 12 years of awakening keeps going. It says, but sometime later, after I was back serving the king, I asked his permission and I came back to Jerusalem. And it was here that I learned about the evil things that Eliasian had done. And it keeps going. But here's what I want you to notice for just a second. There's this, this moment where they had experienced the revival. And Nehemiah goes home and all of a sudden, the, the, the people, they come out of this intense season of spiritual pursuit This intense season of rebuilding the walls, this intense season of repentance, this intense season of worship, and all of a sudden, if you've ever experienced this in a season of intensity, they just kind of go, man, we just want to take a bit of a break. We just want to slow it back down. Uh, We just want to catch our breath a, a little bit, and all of a sudden, the people of God begin to make some convenient choices. You can go through and you can read the rest of the chapter uh, this morning when you get home. I'd encourage you to do so. But Nehemiah comes back and he begins to discover that a lot of the the reasons the people had slipped into this place of spiritual apathy was because slowly but surely they had fallen back in love with the idol of convenience. Instead of choosing the right leaders, they're going to choose the convenient leaders Instead of honoring the Lord with holiness on the Sabbath, they're gonna practice some convenient ways of honoring the Lord on the Sabbath. It's gonna keep going. Instead of them living out in the context of their relationships and their marriages, the more difficult way of holding on to holiness, they begin to choose the convenient way. And Nehemiah comes back and what he sees is that the path of convenience didn't lead them to greatness. The path of convenience led them to apathy. He comes back and he sees them. And the end of the book is this guy who spent 12 years trying to bring about awakening, trying to get people going. And the, the, the book ends kind of with this cliffhanger. He's trying to get everything reformed, everything pulled back together. And the, I want you to look at the very end of verse 31, at the very end of the book. He just prays this prayer. He says, remember me. He says, remember me with favor, oh my God. He tries to bring about reform. He tries to bring about the awakening. He tries to bring back the revival. And he gets to the end, and the book ends with him just kind of throwing his hands up in the air. and He says, Lord, remember me. Like, I'm convinced that if this was being written in our time, Nehemiah would have said something like this. Hey, God, remember me. I gave it my best shot. Hey, God, you know I tried. Hey, God, you know I tried to stir these people for you, and, and the fire just burned out. He says, Lord, remember me, remember me with favor. And the curtain closes on Nehemiah, the lights go down, and we're sitting there in the audience going, well, that was weird. (laughs) Where does this go? And here's what I love about the book of Nehemiah. Some of the Old Testament books will do this in particular. The way they're written and the way they end serve as an invitation. And I love this because the story of Nehemiah, it's both a mirror and a window, It's a mirror that's designed to help us see ourselves as we really are. Like Nehemiah says, hey, look, I want you to see this. It is possible to walk with God, to love God, to encounter God, to be touched by God, and then in a very short period of time to forget God. He says it's possible to, to experience real revival, real stirring, real anointing, real movement, whatever language, it is possible to be touched by God, to fall in love with God, and then to fall out of love with God. And the end of the story, it, it's like this mirror that says, hey, do you see how easy it is to go back to the old ways that were anchored in convenience? It's what any of you experienced when you were kids. If you went to church camp, I won't make you raise your hand, but you remember the way that church camp would always go? You know, you'd leave for church camp if you got to go as a high school student. And, you know, you'd get there in the beginning of the week. It's just kind of about friends and girls or guys, whatever it is. But, man, you'd get to Thursday of church camp. And, man, after three or four days of, like, worshiping and, like, digging into the Scriptures, like, on Thursday night of church camp, what happens every Thursday night of church camp? I mean, it is full-blown, fire from heaven, revival from God, right? And like, you and your friends, you're there, you're making blood oath covenants, you know. No more porn, no more cuss words, no more, you know, we're not doing anything bad. We're gonna pray nine hours a day. We're fasting the next 100 days. We're taking our high school for Jesus. Like, you remember Thursday night at church camp. But what was the Friday morning bus ride like? Right back. You're like, that revival lasted an hour, and if you ever noticed what would happen, like you'd go, man, then was it even true? Maybe it wasn't even real. No, it was real. But your ability to go back is just as real. Your ability to, to slip back and is just as real. And the end of the story is this invitation. It's like a mirror in front of us. Nehemiah says, listen, when we finished the wall, we failed to keep walking with the Lord. When we finished the project at hand, man, we slipped back into the old ways of convenience. And in some ways, it's like a mirror that says, hey, look at how easy this is to go back to convenience. But in other ways, it's like a window. If you think about the way that a window works, you know, you stand at a window and you're here in this place, but you're looking beyond, you're looking into something else. Nehemiah gives us the end of the story and he says, hey, listen, this was our story, but it doesn't have to be your story. He says, I want you to see through this. I want you to see beyond this, and I want you to choose something better than we chose. Because Nehemiah knew that the awakening, the revival for them, didn't die down because God removed his glory. See, I think sometimes when we talk about awakening, we make it so mysterious and so mystical. It's like, God, if only you would come and just spray the aerosol can of awakening on our church, we would know you. See, awakening didn't die. For the people, during the days of Nehemiah, because God removed His presence, the awakening died down because the people removed themselves from the presence of God, that they went back, that they chose the convenient, that they chose the easy. And he says, "Listen, it's not just about you seeing yourself, it's about you looking in to what could be. And you get to choose. You get to choose. Will you choose more awakening, or will you choose? Will you choose the path of convenience? I remember years ago, one of my really good friends, he turned 89 two weeks ago. Just an amazing dude. He had just this incredible marriage for 67 years with his wife, and she died about 18 months ago. And I remember after his wife had passed away, I sit down with Don. I'm like, Don, uh, Tell me about your marriage. Like, how did you guys experience the marriage that you did? He shared so many amazing things, but I'll never forget this one statement that he shared with me. He said, Dave, we made this individual commitment and we made this communal commitment in the context of our marriage that we would keep choosing the path less widely traveled. That we would keep choosing the path less widely traveled. When our friends were choosing their careers over their marriage, we said, we're gonna choose our marriage. You know, when when our culture was saying, hey, put your children over the Lord, we would choose the Lord. Like when our culture was saying, hey, hang on to bitterness, hang on to resentment, we would choose forgiveness. When when our culture told us that love was a feeling, we'd say, no, it's a a choice. He said, and it wasn't always easy, but there was this mutual commitment to keep choosing the path less often traveled. It just reminded me of the words of Jesus. It's, It's what you see in Nehemiah. Nehemiah's going, hey, here's the deal. Will you choose that which is convenient or will you choose that which leads to greatness? Will you choose that which is easy or will you choose that which will take a little bit more work but will bring your soul to life? You know, that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six. You don't have to turn, there'll be there on the screen. I want you to see verse 13 and 14. Yeah, I love what Jesus says. He says, enter through the narrow gate. Do you remember this? He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate of convenience. That's not what he said. I just added that. (laughs) He says, for wide is the gate of convenience and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter, enter in through it. Jesus says, listen, he's talking to people that are already convinced here. I want you to hear what Jesus says. He says, the gravitational pull of your soul is towards convenience and convenience will produce spiritual mediocrity. Jesus says everyone around you, even in your church, is gonna be tempted to take the path more widely traveled because the path more widely traveled is easier to get into. It is easier to be a cultural Christian. It is easier to, to, to play it safe. It is easier to know about God in your mind but never wrestle with God in your heart. It is easier it is easier to choose the path of convenience. Jesus says many people enter that, verse 14. He says, but small is the gate and narrow is the road. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few will find it. Jesus says, but there's a different way. He says there's a different way that at times will feel much more challenging at times, will feel like you're trying to get into a smaller door. At times, it will feel like you're swimming upstream, fighting the gravity of the culture. He says, but that's the way that leads to life. In the book of Nehemiah, I mean, it's just this stark contrast. Where for 12 chapters, he says, this is what adventure with God like, looks like. This is what joy with God looks like. This is what awakening with God looks like. And this is what we all went back to. And the end of the book is almost this question that says, ethos, church, what life do you want? And I think this conversation matters so much in a season like this. You know, we've, we've just come out of this season of great spiritual intensity, you know, for 30 days praying, for 30 days fasting, for 30 days laying aside some of the convenient choices so we could get in touch with the heart of God more fully. And once you hear me clearly, it was never about the discipline. It was never about let's do a new practice. We just understood that in order to seek Jesus first, there were some other things that we had to lay aside because we were seeking those things first. And that the season was this intense season of saying, God, we are trying to recalibrate our hearts so that we could know you more fully. It was a season of real intensity. It's what Nehemiah and the people experienced. You know, he goes in and it's just intense. They're rebuilding the city and they're facing opposition and they're getting their lives back in order with God and there's repentance and there's worship. It's church camp over and over and over and over. I don't know if you ever noticed this. Have you ever noticed that so often seasons of spiritual intensity force us to live with a deeper level of intentionality? That intensity requires intentionality if you're going to survive it. I remember in college, there was this one semester to get on track with my major. I had to take 18 credit hours. I'd never taken that many hours in a semester. It was intense. And in order to survive the intensity, I had to get more intentional with my study habits and my time and my social life. And it was amazing. With the intensity came a level of intentionality. And ironically enough, I made the best grades that I made that semester in college. The next semester, I had nine hours. And you know, my thought was, man, if I crushed it with 18, I'm going to really crush it with nine hours. But you know the way this goes. The intensity faded, the intentionality Followed and so did my GPA. (laughs) Because so often, when the intensity leaves, the intentionality goes as well. And this is this what happens. Nehemiah says, "Man, we finished the wall, and the intensity shifted. And all of a sudden, when the intensity shifted, and I went back to the king, the people's intentionality began to fade, and the awakening began to crumble." I think this is an important conversation for us in this season. Some of you have already experienced that this week. You know, we ended the fast last week and you treated the season of prayer and fasting sort of like Whole30, you know, if you've ever done that. It's like you binged on Jesus for, you know, 30 days. And then at the end of it, it's like, whew. And some of you look back over last week and you went, man, I've already prayed less this week than I did two weeks ago. I thought about my coworkers less than I did two weeks ago. And I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I just, that's the mirror of Nehemiah. That so often when the intensity fades, the intentionality slips. And we find ourselves going back to that which is convenient. And that which is convenient very rarely produces that which is great. The thing that God has made you for is gonna require the continual commitment of choosing that which is great over choosing that which is easy. Over choosing that which is convenient. And the truth is we're coming into a new season and the intensity is changing. Like, like you can't fast every day for the rest of your life. That's good, that's a good thing. But just because the, intent, the intensity is shifting, the intentionality doesn't have to. I remember when Sydney and I, almost 13 years ago, we were on the last day of our honeymoon. We had this incredible trip together. We're there at the end of our honeymoon and we're so sad that we have to like go back. We're like, oh man, we've got to go back to normal life. And so remember, we're sitting there at the resort or literally on our computer trying to figure out, okay, is there a way that we can afford one more night here? Is there a way that we can afford to change, you know, the, the flights? Is there a way that we could get off work? And we tried and we spent like half the morning trying to rearrange. We didn't enjoy our last morning because we were trying to, to, to keep the thing going. And we realized we can't stay here. And it was like such a bummer. We're like, man, we can't stay in this place. But then there's just this moment of awakening for us. We went, you know what? But we're going back differently than we came here. Like we're going back as a married couple. <laughs> like like, like we're, we're going back, like, and we're gonna get to live in a house together for the first time. We're gonna get to create new rhythms for the first time. And, and although we can't stay in this little place, we're not going back to the old place. We're going back to a new normal, and I want to challenge us as a church to really go, man. Hey, as we come out of this season, can we just kind of communally say, "Let's come back to a new normal. Let's come back to a new season"? Or we're saying, "Hey, some of our rhythms are going to change, but but our way of going after God isn't going to change." Our, our, our desire to pray isn't going to change. Our, our desire to serve the city isn't going to change. Our desire to know God intimately isn't going to change. Maybe the intensity might change. But the new normal that God is inviting us back to, I believe, is a place of radical joy. But we won't find it in the context of commitment, uh, of convenience. I love Matthew chapter 11. Look at verse 28 with me. This is the invitation last month, and this is the invitation for the rest of our lives. Jesus says, come to me. I just want you to say that with me come to me. He says, come to me. This is what the last 30 days have been like. This is what it's been for. It's what the rest of the journey is gonna be. It's, it's the invitation not to be better at religion, not to be better at discipline, although all those things are true at times. It's the invitation to keep saying, Jesus, we're coming to you first. We're coming to you first. We're coming to you first. And so, so what's this look like? I wanna just give us some suggestions, Okay. I think there's a communal component to this and an individual component. I'll just start with the communal component for a second. In your seat, you'll see these bookmarks that I want to encourage you to take home with you. And I want you you to put it on the side that says communal next steps first. I want to challenge every person in our church family to communally commit to three things. We can't make you do this, but I go, what does it look like to keep the awakening still burning in this season? I think first, as a community, this whole month has been about us connecting with God and intimacy through prayer. And I just want to ask you would you prayerfully commit to coming one Sunday night a month at 7 p.m. and joining our church in time of prayer for our church, our city, our nation, and the nations? Not all of you can come. Not all of you have schedules that will allow you to come every week. Some of you can't come any weeks, but for those of you that are able, I don't know if you know this or not, for the last four years, we've had people that for the last four years have been doing what we've been doing as a church for the last 30 days. And we're looking for more people to say, let's keep the fire of spiritual awakening turning. And I go, you picked the week, but but would you commit, just here's the next step. Here's one way that we're gonna keep stepping into what God is calling us. Would you commit to one Sunday night a month? Secondly, would you commit to praying and fasting one day a month? for our church, for our city, for our nation and the nations? Would you commit to fasting just just one day a month? You know, you don't have to fast for 30 days for the rest of your life, but would you pick a day? You know, our, our desire would be as we move forward that eventually we would have people from ethos every day of the week, every hour of the day, every day of the year praying for spiritual revival. That's what we're after. We believe that there are things in heaven that God is longing to bring to earth, but they will only come through the channel of intercessory prayer. So we're just asking you, okay, let's keep moving forward. Would you pick a day? Would you choose a day? And then last but not least, number three, would you share your story and these commitments with us? You can go online, ethoschurch.org, forward slash fast forward. And you can let us know, hey, I'll come pray once a month. Hey, I'll, I'll fast once a month. We're gonna send out prayer guides at the beginning of each month that says, hey, here's what we're praying about together as a church. And we just wanna ask God to awaken us through a, through a, continual, a continual season of prayer uh, together. There's also a place for you to share your story of what God's doing in you and what you're asking God for so that our prayer teams on Sunday nights can keep praying for you. And so kind of the first step is a communal step. But on the other side of the card, it says personal next steps. And I just wanna leave this with two questions as we wrap up this season as we move into into the next. The first question is this. What did I let go of during the fast forward season that I don't need to pick back up as we move forward? And for some of you, you let go of a sin, you let go of a habit, you let go of an addiction that was seriously altering your ability to experience intimacy with Jesus. And I go, just like you had to plan to let that thing go, what's your plan to make sure you don't pick it back up? Or for some of you, maybe you let go of something that was good. But it just had too strong of a grip on your life. You know, if you're fasting from food, you need to pick that back up. You know, like some of you are fasting from social media or different connections of people and you need to pick it back up. My question is do you need to pick it back up the same way you did before? And it's worth asking the Lord that. Hey, what did I let go of that I don't need to pick back up or I need to pick it back up differently? Secondly, what did I begin doing during this season that I need to keep doing as we move forward? And for some of you, you started praying with your spouse for the first time every day. And I'm like, do you really want to quit that? And for some of you, you started reading the word differently or you started engaging with community differently or you started listening for the voice of God differently. You started coming to Jesus differently. And I go, just because the intensity has shifted, the intentionality doesn't have to. And this is the story of Nehemiah, that God would awaken one person And that he'd use them to awaken a generation. But at some point, the generation has to decide whether or not they want to keep waking up. And I go, you get to choose. You get to choose. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift of this season. Thank you for the gift of who you are and the gift of what you're doing. God, would you stir us? Would you move us? Would you compel us? Would you lead us to keep coming to Jesus in ways that matter? for your glory and our joy and the good of those that are around us. Amen.